Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ian Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Osband, our Daf of the day, Masachet Nedarim Daf Tet, page nine. So we have a new Mishnah. This is our second Mishnah. Is this our, only our second Mishnah? Is that possible? Only our second Mishnah. Yep. Okay. Here we go. So the Mishnah here is really going to explain, right? Like these statements of vows. And the question is, what happens? You have an individual, just a person, who accepts upon himself like the vows of the wicked people or uh, or a vow of the Nazir or of a korban, a offering, a sacrifice, or of taking an oath. Can you drink, Sharim? Can you drink, Sharim? Lo Amar Klum. If somebody says, I'm going to take a vow like the righteous people or the virtuous people, he's not saying anything, right? Because the point being that righteous, virtuous people, and this is a very strong statement, do generally do not take vows, right? The idea that if you say, I will take a vow like the righteous people, um, it means nothing. I, I want to stop and say, like, really? And the answer is yes, really. Really, vows are kind of taboo, that if you are truly righteous in the language and, and sensibility of the time of the mission and the Gemara, the answer is you would not be taking oaths. You would not be taking vows. If you say, however, like the gift offerings, like those who make who give gifts, uh, then that vow is like becoming a nazir or bringing a korban, meaning the idea that one can give gifts is within what a righteous person might indeed do. Maybe I'm taking that too far. Maybe I'm taking that too far. I'm putting them together, right? The Mishnah really just says if one uses this language or uses that language. So I'm going to step back from my interpretation there. Now the Gemara is going to come and go back to ex- to ex- explore this first phrase this, of the Mishnah. Gemara v'dil lonadarna. So the Gemara says, well, maybe what he's saying is I'm not making a vow like the vows of the Rishaim, of like the vows of the wicked, meaning not that he's going to take a vow, but he's not going to take a vow like the vows of the wicked, right? The whole point is to avoid taking a vow. Perhaps that's what he's saying. Because really, who's going to say, who's going to use this language to take something upon themselves that they're going to now take a vow like the wicked? Oh, I'm going to put my, my lot in with the wicked people? <laughs> that sounds very counterintuitive, certainly according to the value system of the Mishnah. So Shmuel says, no, no, he's talking about somebody who says, like the vows of the wicked, I am hereby, or a lie, I'm taking upon myself, or again, this uh, another formulation for I'm hereby, right? If he says, I'm hereby, if all he says is, then perhaps that's talking about Nizirut. Because that language could be used for Nizir, a lie. If he just says a lie, then he's talking about Bukarban. He's he's taking upon himself an offering uh, to make a sacrifice. Haimanu, then that, again, that language would mean, I'm sorry, from it, Bishwa. Therefore, he's using that language to to limit himself to particular actions of a, of an oath of a Shvu'ah. Meaning, on the one hand, the Gemara says this language, the question of maybe this language of like the Rishayim, could be what he's not going to do. And the Gemara says, no, no, he's using that language in conjunction with other words that we know to be um, vow language. And each one of the terms that might have been in- 
used in conjunction with this phrase of like the wicked, um, again, it's going to be the kind of thing that even just on the surface of it, it there's an uh, upon myself or from it. And those like, those terms carry within them the meaning of what kind of oath they would actually be taking upon themselves. So the Gemara says, really, basically, really, are you sure that those words really mean that? Hareini nizirut, when you say hareini, which means like, I am hereby, and then you could finish all, you know, I am hereby going to sleep for the night, meaning that's not an oath. That's There's no language there indicating nizirut. Dilma hareini bata'anit. So then maybe what he's saying is I'm accepting upon myself a fast, meaning not nizirut, but I'm going to take upon myself a fast. Bata'anit kamar. Amar Shmuel kishayana zir over lefanav. So Shmuel says, no, he says hareini, like, behold, I am hereby, right? That is in the case where he saw a Nazir walking right by, and the person he's talking to understands what he's talking about, and it's an indication to the Nazir walking by that the I am hereby uh, fundamentally joining that practice that that person over there that we've just seen together is doing. It's not magic of the word harini. It's the whole context. Um. Okay, I think I'm going to stop there, Yudin, and hand it over to you, just to make clear that, the, as we've said before, the Gemara here is delving very carefully into the language that the mission itself is very carefully being precise to introduce. And, um, I, you know, the, the Gemara here is short, but there's a good amount of explanation here because, again, this kind of focus on the really the nitty-gritty nitty detailed formulations of the language is exactly where the differences of what one is saying, you know, creep in. Um, and I would say that the Mishnah and the Gemara both here are the opposite of casual with regards to formulation in this particular context. So I, you know, again, it, this, it's all wordplay. Like it, it's just, to me, this is a difficult Mishnah. I know you love the Mishnah, um, but it's a question of, that language when we hear somebody say something sort of what's the second half of what they meant or what's their intention and it's interesting that the Mishnah makes a distinction between Rishayim and Kshayim and you know the one of the things the you know the Gemara is going to go on to say is that the reason why is because Kshayim is like making a nether is not a good thing to do it's not anything you would do whereas Rishayim might make a nether but um, it's interesting how they sort of break them up into two different categories yeah, I think so. And and opposite categories. Right, and opposite. So I'm going to move on to the Gemara uh, on Ahmed Bet, which is going to finally get to this distinction between what a nether and a nedava are, right? These are two things, two terms that we hear used. Both mean sort of a type of pledge or vow, but they mean two different things, right? And because we'll hear it sometimes in terms of korbanos, right, that you can make a nether for so the question that the Gemara wants to ask is, what is special about, what's different about making a nadir, right? Where Rabbi Mayer said previously, this refers back to uh, the previous Gemara, where Rabbi Mayer said that you shouldn't make a nadir, but you can make a nadava. So the question is, why? What's bad about a nadir, but a nadava would be okay? Dilma atebe lide takala. Right. It, there's obviously there's a concern that per, that maybe perhaps somebody will come to to a, a takala 
to a transaction, right? He won't fulfill the obligation that he made by making a nedzer. Nedzaba namilo. But then the same thing should be true of a nedzaba as well, right? Both of these are voluntary obligations that a person makes. So why does Rabbi Mayer make this distinction that a nedzer is not good, but a nedzaba Right, we should have the same. Uh, we still, you know, we should still have the same concern. And again, the concern would be that if you make a nedzer or a nedzaba, right, you would be, you would uh, uh, be overran. You would violate the lotase, the prohibition of baltacher, right, of not delaying. That you may wait too long to give that animal pledge that you said you would. So the Gemara answers, kehilo hazaken, right. The, a nedava basically is a good thing. The way that it was taught by Hila Hazaken, Titania, we learned in a brisa, Amrua Hila Hazaken. They said about Hila Hazaken, Shalome aladam beolato kol that no person ever committed meila with his ola offering in all his days. Okay, now remember what meila is. It's the chayd. It's the transgression of getting benefit from something that is a hedzeish or consecrated property. Right. And so Hila Hazakain basically came up with a system, which we're going to be read about in this uh, Brisa, that if somebody already had a consecrated animal in their possession, right, it could lead you to maybe misuse that animal or you're going to use that animal in a way that you shouldn't because it's a consecrated property. And so therefore, what did Hila do? Hila would bring the animal, the offering that he wanted to give to the temple courtyard while it was still unconsecrated. And so actually you are not allowed to, now the price that we just need to know is that you can't bring an animal into the temple courtyard, but the idea is he would bring it just till he got to the temple courtyard, right? And basically as soon as he got to the Beit HaMikdash, as soon as he gets to the Azarat, to the courtyard, then he consecrates it. He leans on it. Remember the thing of smicha, we talked about this in Chagiga, this is the first machlokas, halachic machlokas we see, but for a korban, you have to put your hands on it, it's a machlokas, whether you do that with the korban Chagiga, okay, the shokta, and then you shecht it. So what basically Hillel did is, is he minimizes, right, the amount of time between, um, between, uh, you know, when somebody, uh, this animal could actually be hegdish for. Now, this nedzaba, right, uh, you know, was taken obviously at the end, you know, right at the beginning of uh, the of the courtyard, right at the beginning of the azarah. However, it seems that Hillel would not even do this with a neder, okay, uh, because that animal could die basically before being offered or somehow it could be disqualified. And then he would be responsible to bring another one. So this is an important piece that the Gemara sort of doesn't fill in. But what a nedzer would be is he would say, I'm going to bring X, Y, and Z Corbin. I'm going to bring this Ola. I'm going to bring an Ola. And so therefore you're obligated to bring an Ola. And a devil would be is, I'm bringing this cow, okay, to be uh, for an Ola. And so the difference is, is that, the nedzaba is preferable because you can basically just consecrate the animal to the azarad, do the system of Hillel. Whereas for a nedzer, where you say like, okay, I'm going to bring an animal, 
if something happens to that animal, it doesn't make a difference to create it, right? But if something happens to it, it dies or it's trying to have a blemish, you still have to bring another one. And therefore, there's more possibility that you could transgress the prohibition of Baal of not delaying. And so then the Gemara goes on to say, This fits well regarding Nidava offerings. When we talk about the Nidava of Nizirut, what is there to say? And so then the Gemara goes on to say, Shimon had Sadik, okay? A vow of Nizirut is like Nidava, right? And now there's a very, very famous story here with Shimon Hatzadik, okay? So, but what I'm going to say is, is that the question is, is that, uh, uh, remember we talked about before that Nizirut is compared to a Neder. It's not a Nidava. So the question is, how do we say that anybody can take a vow of Nizirut if we just said that, you know, Nidarim are not great things to do. And so now we're going to have a story from Shimon Atzadik. And this is a very famous story. And you literary people out there, it should remind you of a very, very famous uh, myth that many of us have learned in school, right? Ditanya, we was taught in a brisa. I'm a Rabbi Shimon Atzadik. Rabbi Shimon Atzadik said, lo achalti asham nazir In all my days, now remember Shimon Atzadik, we've talked about him. Sorry, just to give a little background. He is uh, mentioned in the second mission of Perkei Avos as Sha'arei Ansheik Knesset Hagdola, right? He's from the end of the time period of Ansheik Knesset Hagdola. He serves as the Kohen Gadol for 40 years. He's the longest serving Kohen Gadol of Bayit Cheney. Bayit Cheney had about over 300 Kohen Gadols, um, and uh, he served in capacity uh, for 40 years. And, uh, you know, that temple was around for about 350 years, something like that. So the, the coin gutters of the second temple were not great. Um, and he served for a very, very long time. And also we say uh, he was, a, you know, he's called Shimon Atzadik because he was very, very righteous. So he would never eat from the Asham of a Nazir who had become Tame. So remember, a Nazir who becomes Tame, that's one of the things that a Nazir is not allowed to do. They're not allowed to touch a corpse and become Tame. And so... When that happens, let's say they accidentally do become tame, right? So when he gets purified from his tummy, he has to bring some special korbanot of two birds and a lamb. The birds are an ole and a chatat, and the lamb is an asham. And he basically gives up the term of his nazir that he had counted, and he needs to start again. Now that asham and the chatat are actually in, eaten by the kohanim. And what Shimon HaTzadik is saying is, is I actually ever eat, that korban of a nazir who became tame, except el echad, except for one. I'm a certain nazir who became tame, came from the south. And I saw that he had beautiful eyes and was very, he was very beautiful, he was attractive. And his locks were arranged in curls. He had beautiful hair. Remember, the nazir doesn't cut his hair. I said to him, Bini, why would you want to destroy your beautiful hair? In other words, why would somebody like you who is so attractive and has this beautiful hair, why would you take this vow of Nizirut? Because when it's over, you're going to have to cut your hair. And your hair is beautiful, so why would you do this? I'm So he says to me, um, uh, uh, I was a shepherd for my father in my town. Now remember, a shepherd is always a particular type of leader. 
Um, the shepherd is supposed to be, you know, somebody who is sort of wholesome. Uh, it's not a city person, right? They 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 have a certain it's a certain type of person. Once I went to fill a pail with water from the spring, the nistalti shali, and I stared at my reflection in the water. and my evil inclination rushed over me. and I and sought to banish me from this world. In other words, he saw how attractive he was. And he was inclined to sort of use his attraction for, let's say, for sinful pursuits. So to me, this would probably mean, you know, to, to pursue something sexually or something like that, right? Amartilo, so I said to my Yetzirah, Russia, you're wicked. Right? Why are you concerned in a world that is not yours? With one who is destined to be consumed by worms and maggots. By the temple service, when by this temple service, in other words, once he becomes a Nazir, uh, right, uh, I will shave you for the sake of heaven. So in other words, what he basically says is, is that he took this Nedar of Nizirut as a way of counteracting, uh, you know, that he sort of had this moment of extreme vanity. Now, obviously, what story should this remind you of? of, uh, you know, narcissists, like where we get like uh, narcissism from basically, right? That he looks at his own, uh, uh, you know, looks at his own ref- in the, uh, you know, in a pool. He ends up kind of being poisoned by his own, st- he gets stuck in the looking. Right. In this reflection. And it's like a loop, right? Like he, he doesn't ever like move on from there because right. he's he so can't in love with it. From looking at himself. So this is basically the Jewish version of this story, right? But the Jew sort of overcomes it. And then he goes on to say, Immediately, Shimon Atzada gets up, kisses him on the hand. There should be more, you know, vowers of Nizirut like you. For you, the 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 pasuk says each ki nazir lahazir lahashem. Right, and so it quotes the pasuk here from chapter six, verse two. Right, that uh, you know a man, a, a person, a man who wants to dissociate himself by vowing a nazir as a nazir to abstain. That, in other words, a person who's really doing this to become closer to God, this is a reason to become a nazir. So this is a very very famous story in the Gemara. It's interesting when we see sort of these parallel stories, like this is also a famous story in another culture, uh, but here with a very, very different outcome. Here, it's used to be that somebody who's actually over to, able to overcome their own vanity and sort of the being a Nazir is sort of being the opposite of vain, right? That since you're going to have to undergo that process of physically transforming yourself, uh, you know, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's sort of the, what this, what the story is telling us. Um, also, I would be interested, right? I Meaning both of these are coming from the ancient world. To what extent does one, ex- is one exposed to the other back then that both stories, you know, talk about comparative literature. I always want to know which came first, which influenced which, or was it just like in the air at the time? that it never happened and both cultures came upon the same story, you know, serendipitously, as it were. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us, and all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hot Journal website.
episode about this stuff on our Talking Town on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.